naming the feminine God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I have spoken before about how we explore God in metaphors. A metaphor is when we describe one thing and say that this thing is like something else. We use metaphors to learn or notice a part of something else, often something that is difficult to know. For example, many of our names for God are actually metaphors. We call God Lord, and God is like a Lord. Using this metaphor, we notice and name that God has power over us and responsibilities to us like a Lord. But since God isn't a human and not a man, God is not actually a Lord. God is greater. God is more than a mere Lord. We call God Father, like we honor a biological father, and this name is also a metaphor. God cares for us like a father. But since God isn't a human and isn't a man, God is also not like a human father. I have spoken about the usefulness and limitations of metaphors before. I remind us that any metaphor about God is not enough. God is always more than we can imagine. If we limit our metaphors, then we limit our understanding of God. Where am I going with this? We, the church, have fallen into a rut. We use male metaphors for God without thinking. These images float in our cultural assumptions of God and power. So every day we use another Lord and Father metaphor because it is easy. Using male metaphors is easy in part because of this well-worn rut is a deep, deep tradition. The church has been using these metaphors for over 2,000 years. Let me pause and name three lived realities from history that shape the church's language for God today. First, long time ago, when the tribes of Israel were first identifying God at that early time, these tribes of Israel were surrounded by the fertility cults of ancient Mesopotamia. Thousands of years ago, if someone named a feminine aspect of God, people in the neighborhood might get confused. Was this the God of Israel, or were you talking about the goddess, Earth Nature? As our ancestors in faith went along, they were encouraged to speak in masculine metaphors for ease and clarity. God is not a fertility goddess. Sometimes we use language to so show something is dissimilar in a specific time and place. Distancing from the femi feminine fertility cults is one root of our Christian language and metaphor for gods today. Most often, though, we talk about what we know, what's familiar. In the New Testament, we have many images of Jesus as a shepherd 
because shepherds were easy to bring to mind. Shepherds were everywhere. We build our metaphors from what is familiar and easy. Jesus and the disciples knew shepherds. So let's learn about God by noticing how God is similar to shepherds. Now here's the rub. Our church theology, the study of God, our liturgy, the practices of public worship, and our church governance were all developed over thousands of years, primarily in the monastic tradition. That is, mostly men living in communities of men, studying with men, conversing with other men, writing to and for men, and making rules to govern a community of men. These guys might not meet many women in their average day. There were and are some monastic communities for women, but really most of the thinkers, governors, and writers of the church were men. When these men imagined the metaphors to help them understand and connect to God, they drew their metaphors from the world they lived in, which was very, very masculine. The church's language of God was limited by what these very wise, very faithful men knew. They knew men. Please note, I do not think this is bad or sinful or anything like that. It's just a part of where the church came from. And finally, one more lived reality that explains the roots of our language of God. It is clear that Jesus taught a more egalitarian love and relationship-based view of power and gender. Jesus recognized women disciples, recognized women friends, and women benefactors. For example, Jesus encouraged Mary to sit and learn as a disciple instead of serving in the kitchen. It is clear that St. Paul honored women as leaders in the early church communities. For example, Paul addressed Junia as an apostle and Phoebe and Prisca as church leaders. Still, the Roman Empire was patriarchal and our political and most family structures throughout Christendom are patriarchal. In patriarchs, if you want to make God appear powerful, we humans will use our current cultural references and make God sound like a man. Today, we stand on over 2,000 years of history that called God primarily by masculine images. But our metaphors of God frame our understanding of God and frame our understanding of the world. It is essential that we do not get sloppy in our address of God. We were created imaginative, and we can use our imaginations to understand God through all the metaphors we can imagine. We, the church, need the metaphors of the indigenous church that address God as healer, great spirit, and often creator. What about the Japanese language? What can communities like Holy Cross teach the church about God that expands our sense of the holy? We start changing how we address God and we can feel 
We are changing who we are. Maybe we do change who we are when we change how we name God. Now, let me come back to today. I believe we need to address God in the image of women as often as we look to masculine metaphors. So this week, not next week because we're doing a baptism, and then for two weeks following that, we will sing songs that lift up feminine images of God, or at least don't describe God as male, and use more feminine-centered language for the Holy Spirit and Creator God. I invite us all to notice how that makes us feel. If calling God mother or womb of life is disturbing, and some people do find the shift uncomfortable, I invite you to notice what is true for you. I invite you to give attention to what you feel when you find new names for God. In these weeks, we will change some of the traditional prayers. For example, we will pray the Lord's Prayer in a version written in New Zealand and influenced by Maori theologians. Songs, prayers, readings, you might have also noticed different readings this week. You might see and hear that the English translations in front of us have different names for God than when we read the standard versions. Through this season, I am working with a woman's lectionary for the whole church, a recommendation from Reverend Jessica Schapp, the, direct, the diocese person for faith formation. Our regular readings, just so you know, don't cover the whole Bible. Sometimes it's worth looking at passages that are not generally included. A woman's lectionary is a collection that raises stories with feminine characters or histories and translations that turn to feminine metaphors of God. For example, this week, the story of the Canaanite woman. She asks Jesus for healing for her daughter. Jesus says no. He understands his call as to the Israelites, his people, the Jewish people. But in her faith, she persists. Just because traditionally the holy people of Israel came to teach and heal the community of Israel does not mean that that is the only way to teach and heal. The disciples ask Jesus to stay within the tradition. They want to send her away. But Jesus agrees to step outside the tradition and do something new. Jesus, in this story, changes his action and chooses faith and healing beyond traditional boundaries. This week, this month, and always, I invite us to call God names, just, not just the names that the dis, disciples, not just the names disciples of our tradition have used in the past. I mean, name God imaginatively. See the greatness, the mystery, the faithfulness, the createdness of God, and use name metaphors beyond any boundary, tradition, or gender. As disciples of Jesus, Jesus who chose to step outside of tradition for healing, I invite you to call God all the names that might be healing for you. <laughs>